And that marks the end of Pride Month in our culture. And if you know anything about our culture, you know that this has been a time when uh, the the left, and in particular uh, those who are pushing gen radical gender ideology and uh, the LGBT ideology broadly, uh, really do celebrate that and really do push it um, on much much of our culture, from from the littlest kids uh, to to the rest of us. So. Uh, today we're going to be running through the things that happened during Pride Month. I'm Meridian Baldacci, uh, Director of Strategy at Family Policy Alliance. We're so glad you're here with us. If you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to like, comment, share this. Uh, that's the, the way we get our message out because the social media companies don't like us. Uh, but with that, let's dive right in to seven things you need to know that happened in this Pride Month. The first one, I'm going to read a quote here, is, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. This is something that drag marchers were chanting at the annual Pride mar March in New York City. Uh, the LGBT agenda isn't looking out for children and their well-being. Sometimes we hear that. We hear that the, the LGBT agenda is looking to protect children, It's it's uh, especially when it comes to transgender issues. This is about saving lives and about protecting children. It's not. They're coming for your children. Uh, it's about grooming them. Number two. Uh, Target, this this is the, the one I, I know you'll know that Target released a line of tuck friendly swimwear uh, made for men to wear women's swimwear. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. They also released Pride Month clothes for children, which is, again, you're going to notice the theme here, putting kids right in harm's way. Uh, they got a lot of a lot of significant public pushback from this um, and began moving those items away from the front displays of the store. So this is the beginning of evidence that your voice is making a difference here. Number three, the LA Dodgers gave their Community Hero Award to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Now, if you don't know who the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are, um, we'll, we'll, put a, we'll put a picture up here, but the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence um, are actually a group of mainly men who dress up as nuns uh, very, very garishly um, and mock Christians. And in particular, they mock Catholics. Um, so you'll you'll see them using a cross as a pole for a pole dance um, and other uh, really, really horrendous things for Christians. Uh, yet the L.A. Dodgers gave them this Community Hero Award. It was a cause a big debacle. At first they invited them, then they uninvited them, then they reinvited them with a big public apology. Uh, and despite despite their persistence in that, they actually received, again, significant public pushback, including from some of their own players. Number four. This I love this one, the Human Rights Campaign. And if you don't know them, they're an LGBTQ activist group. Um, they are very radical on these issues. They declared a state of national emergency because of the many bills, including our own Help Not Harm bills, uh, that protect children from the transgender agenda. That's literally why they created a national state of emergency. Um, and they blamed, by the way, Family Policy Alliance for this national state of emergency, uh, which is a fair accusation because uh, we have been behind many of the bills that uh, that they were talking about. But we're talking about bills that protect girls' opportunities in sports and make sure that males aren't going to take those opportunities away. And very importantly, bills that protect children uh, from the transgender procedures that will irre irre irrevocably harm them. Number five. This is this is a, just a, a crazy quote from President Biden. They're not somebody else's kids. They're all our kids. 
Uh, now, this is a, a, a quote that came up during a pride celebration at the White House. President Biden, again, just just like some of these other things, claiming that this is about protecting kids, that the transgender agenda is making sure that kids can get up, can get the medical care that they need, that they are well taken care of in the process. He says that those kids are not your kids. They're not somebody else's kids. They're all our kids. They belong to the government. We know that's not true. We know that kids are, are, can be raised by their parents and should be governed by their parents, uh, that the government does not control America's children. Number six, this is coming from the states. Uh, California legislature, if you haven't heard, is voting on uh, Bill AB 957, uh, which is a bill that would make it harder for parents to protect their child from transition. So what it does is it uses this language of health, safety, and welfare. And it says that if you as a parent don't support your child's transition, you're doing something against their health, safety, and welfare. Um, that can actually be deemed something that's essentially abuse. Uh, so, so this bill could actually set parents up to essentially be treated as if they're abusing their children. Um, of course, something very concerning, again, separating the parent from the child and using the transgender ideology to do so. And then number seven is this. Uh, a report from Biden's Department of Health and Human Services stated that it is healthy for children to change their pronoun, pronouns, their appearances and their names, and recommended pulling funding from states that protect children from transgender procedures. So the Biden administration is not just wanting to separate children from their parents, but it's wanting to punish any state that will actually protect those children in the first place. Uh, I think there's just been a constant theme through this last month of targeting children, number one, and then number two, separating those children from their parents or from anyone who would seek to protect them. That's really what's lying under this transgender agenda. So th those are just a few of the things, if you didn't, if you missed them, that's what's been going on this Pride Month. I wanna talk with, with uh, a guest today about these things, about what's been going on, and more importantly about how we can respond and how we can think about this, this cultural moment that we're in. Uh, so the guest we have today is a great guest. He's Delano Squires. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Um, if you haven't followed his work, he does a lot of great writing. He talks a lot about fatherhood and uh, has talked a lot recently, actually, about our role as Christians in mm. the public square. So Delano, welcome on. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'd love to hear, you know, I, I identified a couple of the themes I've seen that the left has approached Pride Month with. What are some of the other themes that you've been seeing in Pride Month and maybe even just in the transgender agenda more broadly? Yeah, I think this this June was interesting. Um, I feel like, you know, th there were, in some respects, we, we took a step forward and then maybe two steps backwards. So, for instance, you know, Pride Month, so-called Pride Month started uh, with you know, boycotts of, of Bud Light and Target. And, and I definitely saw some Christians, particularly in the online spaces, being pretty vocal that they were not going to support brands that don't support their values and that actively work to um, indoctrinate our children and confuse them about about their their sex and, and their human nature. Um, but then on, on the flip side, you know, by the time we get to towards the end of the month, we saw, you know, multiple videos of adults, some who are completely naked, you know, twerking and walking and riding bikes in front of children at Pride Parade. So in some respects, you know, I, I feel as if this month corporations, some corporations learned a lesson that, you know, concerned parents, particularly Christians, um, are not to be trifled with. 
And then on the flip side, you see, you know, some members of the of the pride community, so to speak, becoming even more emboldened in their desire and willingness to express their their kinks and fetishes in, in front of um, in the public square and particularly in front of children. And I think that that is the most concerning part. And I know the, the natural inclination is to ask, well, why would parents take their kids to a pride parade? And that is a very Absolutely. that is a legitimate question, by the way. Absolutely. Um, but there's also a question. There's also another question to be asked, which is what adult, particularly what adult male would want to be naked in front of children? You know, um, even as, as parents, as you, as you reach a, a, a certain as your children reach a certain age, uh, if if you are, let's say, getting out the shower and your kids so bust into the room, your natural inclination is to cover yourself. Yes. Um, so when you see adult males who are unrelated to any of these children, proudly prancing around, you know, either in various states of undress or completely, uh, completely naked, it's a legitimate question to ask yourself, is there no reflex in them to say, oh, children are around, let me cover myself. And I think part of this goes back to the, to the very movement that they are part of, right, which is pride. And, and when your levels of pride get to that to that point, you don't the one thing that you're missing is any sense of shame, any sense of boundaries or normalcy or anything that tells you, wow, I've gone um, a little bit further than I thought I should have. Let me pull it back to some extent. And I think that that sense of restraint um, is completely missing from from that, this particular movement. Well, and I think that's the same question that people have been asking now with uh, the drag queen story hours that have, mm -hmm. have been happening at libraries. Mm -hmm. They've been happening for a while, but I think they've been especially getting attention recently mm -hmm. is why do these people want an audience with children in the first place? Right, right. Uh, you know, there's even even when they say, oh, this was a, a less sexualized performance or the, the drag performer you know, came came not, not wearing women's lingerie. Well, that's a relief. Right. But still, why did they why did they want an audience with children? Uh, I think that's that's exactly the right question, Delano. You you talk about too yeah. how this is the end of the year that corporations finally uh, finally saw that there there was going to be some pushback and that maybe mm -hmm. consumers don't want this pride push on. Why do you think that happened this year? Because I mean we've seen this year after year, and can conservatives get frustrated with you know what what Target puts on their displays or what you know fill in the blank corporation mm -hmm. does? What, what do you think made the difference this year? And and maybe especially what was Christians. What were the, the role of Christians in responding to that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of it, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard to distinguish um, real life from you know digital, virtual, online life. Uh, I will say this: I, I think the prominence of, of some you know conservatives on the right, you know, some self-identified Christians, others not. Um, people like Matt Walsh, whose documentary "What Is a Woman" obviously is one of the most um, significant monumental documentaries in recent memory, the ability for those people with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers to get their message out to people. Um, and those, those individuals turn around and sort of uh, change the way that they live and they move in the world in terms of where they spend their money and what, what businesses they patronize. I, I do think that that has a real world effect. And if you have enough of those people the people with the massive followings, encouraging Christians, not just not just by the courage that they display, but by saying, hey, if we want to send a message, we should take these one or two tangible um, steps. Uh, I think that is one of the things that has made somewhat of a difference. And even in my own household, you know, I, I came home one day and my wife said, are we going to boycott Target 
this month? And I said, absolutely. And and this is real for us because we literally live five minutes away from a target. And it is our default to go there when we need, you know, any any types of products, either for the home or for our children. Um, but but I think it's important for for corporations to know that um, their desire to cater to and pander to 0.2 percent of the population is is going to cost them um, with a much, much larger percentage of, of shoppers. So um, I, I do think in this case that there is something to be said for for being online and the ability uh, to marshal sort of righteous indignation, even through the use of social media. I hear you on the Target thing. I, I live virtually across the street from a Target and same thing. It's It's been, been a hard month, but for as long as they're going to have that stuff out there, I don't want my money going to a company right, that, right, is, right. that is going to be supporting that. And so um, I, I hear you on that. And I think you're so right that it's important for Christians to be engaged and to know what's going on too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, I think this is, this is an advantage you mentioned of, of, of being online, of actually of actually knowing the issues. So if you're listening to this right now and you're you're hearing the issues, you're actually tuning in to find out what's going on, uh, good for you. And be right. sure to share that message and, and pass that along to your friends because um, not everyone does know what's going on. And and when people do know and do act, I think that does make a difference. I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna shift into a couple of objections I think that we sometimes get as Christians for, mm-hmm. for engaging in the public square, Delano. So one of these is that Religion and politics shouldn't mix. Um, and this is not just something that we get as Christians. You know, people in, in and out of Christianity think this. And they, they often comes down to they think of maybe a separation of church and state is what they'll have in their mind. Um, obviously, you and I are not calling for a theocracy. We're not calling to, you know, make, make America a mandated Christian nation or something. But I know that you and I definitely agree that our beliefs should play a role. Um, in the way that we engage in the public square. So I, I know you, you've written actually extensively on this. Could you, can you speak mm-hmm. to that a little bit? Sure. I, I think the first thing to realize is that all law, laws are moral, um, which means that every law uh, bears the, the imprint of someone's values and worldview, someone's definition of morality, even tax law, right? Someone will say, it is immoral to, to tax a population at 90%. And someone else will say it's immoral to tax, you know, someone's income at 0% because then we don't, we won't have enough revenue to pay for all the things I think we should pay for. So uh, I think the notion of, of uh, morally neutral public square is a fiction that every person, particularly every Christian, should just get out of their head. Um, and I, l- let me say this. One of the first pieces I wrote when I came to Heritage Foundation was about um, dra- what I call drag queen conservatism um, and how that that mode of thinking is the real threat to religious liberty. And I, I dedicated sort of tongue in cheek that piece to, to David French, the person who said a few years ago that drag queen story hour at that time, which was sort of confined to libraries, um, is a blessing of liberty. And in, and in his mind, the blessing was the fact that both drag queens and committed Christians have access to the public square. And I think that line of thinking is one of the reasons that we are where we are today. Um, It it is the notion that, again, you can have a morally neutral public square and that introducing drag queens, and and, and it's not just the kids, because I I have fundamental issues with with drag. I, I think it's a form of femme face is what I would call it, you know, in terms of men dressing up 
and caricatures of what they think womanhood is, and in many respects, mocking women through you know their their dress and their behavior. That that aside, um, I, part of what I wanted to do in that piece was was wake Christians up to the notion that look, someone's worldview is always going to be inscribed on the public square. So the, if if you don't think it should be Christians imposing their version of morality um, on our law, on policy, on social customs, then then who's version of morality would you prefer? Would you prefer the, the morality of people who think that, who have no issue slaughtering babies in the womb, who think there's no difference between male and female, who think men can get pregnant, who think that it's fine for um, teachers in the classroom to talk to your children about sex and sexuality? Um, if not, then what version of morality do you want? So uh, I, I think Christians should get out of this habit of thinking Oh well, I, I don't. I don't want to push my values on someone else because if you don't, the other side clearly has no problem pushing their values on you, and that is one. And and so I'll close in terms of this. This my my thought here. But this, every society has a closet, quote unquote, right? Um, every society has a range of beliefs and behaviors and values that it is that it wants to promote publicly. And then another set of beliefs, behaviors, and values that it relegates to the private sphere, AKA the closet. For generations, um, Christians, and even religious people of different stripes were able to practice their faith publicly, both in, in, in terms of going to church and in terms of how they managed their lives and the bit, how they ran their businesses. And people who engaged in sexual behavior, particularly non-normative sexual behavior, was relegated to, to the private sphere. And now those two positions, those two things have switched. And all manner of things sexual are in front, front street in terms of the public square. And people, particularly religious people, feel like they have to practice their faith in private. Um, so the closet is not big enough for both. And Christians will have to decide, you know, whether they want to be out loud and proud with their faith or whether we want to be relegated to our prayer closets, mumbling personal pronouns and, and trying to appease the left. We are so glad you're enjoying Conversations with Craig. Your experience doesn't have to stop here. To stay connected with other listeners, hear about current events affecting your family, and to share pictures and videos with your friends, follow Family Policy Alliance on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out the links in the show notes, and we'll see you online. Well, we are we are definitely living in the shadow of the the 1970s and the sexual revolution, even mm -hmm. even today, uh, with that. And and you're so right that there there are a, there there is always going to be a group of uh, beliefs, I guess, morally that that people are going to um, hold hold strongly and say uh, uh, that fill in the blank is off the table. I mean, the mm -hmm. most extreme level, take murder. Uh, we won't talk about abortion and what our culture yeah. thinks of that, but take ad adult murder. Um, something that people are still going to say is taboo is still going to be to use your terms in the closet, mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, you're absolutely right. There's there's a place where we have to determine what are those things that we are and we are not going to accept. Mm -hmm. But let's let's take this a step further. So I, I think there are a lot of Christians who agree with us on this and they mm -hmm. say, yes, Delano. Yes, Meridian. I'm so glad mm -hmm. you guys are fighting in the public square. I'm so glad you are raising your voices. 
but I don't want to because I don't want to offend my friend or mm. I don't want to be seen as unloving or unpopular or whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's even coming from a place I think of well-meant Christian love of, of mm. thinking I don't want to offend someone or, or something like that. What's your response and encouragement to those people? Well, first, I, I acknowledge that that is a, a very real feeling. Um, it's one I, I felt at times as well. Is, you know, I don't want to be seen as unloving and mean and uncharitable and, because I don't want people to, to think that, you know, my views that they deem hateful are a reflection of a hateful faith. So I, I get why people would say that. Two things. One, we are all created in God's image. Right? I believe what, what the scripture says about the, the Imago Dei, that, that imprint of a holy and righteous God on, on all of humanity. And because I believe that, that we're created beings in, in God's image, I understand that I, as the creation, um, cannot beat God at loving his, his, the people that he created. So lying to a person about their biological sex, lying to them about how God created, created the world and created human beings, male and female, to live together, so much so that, that our bodies literally fit, fit together um, and, and by that fit, you know, we propagate the, the, the human species down through the generations. Lying to someone about that is neither loving nor kind. So I, as a creature, cannot um, love another person more fully than the God that created them. So I, I think that's, that's one thing that we should, we should sort of settle on, um, is that we can't beat God at loving his creation. And then the other thing I think we should we should understand is that um, affirming delusion is also not loving. So, you know, I have, you know, almost been married to my wife almost 11 years. We have four young children in, in the home. The oldest is seven. At various times, our kids have thought that they're dinosaurs and sharks. And at one point, you know, my daughter said, oh, daddy, I want you to be my husband. Now, when she said that, I didn't I didn't tell my wife I'm filing for divorce and I didn't call a local, you know, catering hall and say, look, I'm, I'm planning for a new wedding because I understand that kids have an imagination. They, they believe all types of things. But it's my responsibility as her father to guide her in the path of truth. And I think that believers that believe um, affirming lies is loving are operating under the wrong definition of love. What we're trying to do is appeal to the world standard of love. And really what it is is that we don't want to um, sacrifice our own reputation. We don't want to be known as hateful people. So instead of um, standing on God's word and his truth, we will substitute our own version of, of morality um, so that and, and, and it's not because we don't want to bring the word of God in dis, into disrepute. We don't want to bring our own reputation, right? We don't want people to look at us as mean and hateful and bigoted people. Um, but the thing is, it doesn't matter how gently you say some of these things. It's, it's what we believe, not necessarily how we say it, that the world disagrees with. So we just have to make up in our mind that we are, we are willing to stand on God's truth that will not change. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, and not kowtow to the left's lies. Because there's not a single thing that the left says it believes today that it won't move on in four years if the right people, the quote unquote right people, a small number of committed ideologues tell them that it's, that it's time to move. So 
um, that, that, that's, that's what I would say to Christians who are feeling um, on the fence about that issue. So well, my, la- my very last question for you is, is kind of a related one, which is mm-hmm. uh, that I think it's t- take, take the Christian who, who agrees that we should be engaged, maybe even tries to, to speak their values uh, to their friends. But they're just losing hope. They, they just see what Target is doing. They see what the Dodgers are doing. They hear the things that President Biden has said. Uh, and they think, is there any hope in, in this? So, so how would you answer that? Uh, it's a question I understand. And I will say this. I start from the position that the battle has already been won. Right? We, we know how the story ends. And, and we put our ultimate hope and trust in Christ. And then from there, I would encourage people to to love your neighbor, um, and that that love should start in your own household. Particularly if you're if you're a parent, um, if you're a spouse, if you has a if you have a husband or wife, and you, have, and you all have children, um, I would encourage you to to love and care for, um, and particularly if you have kids, to disciple your your children, to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, um, and in doing so, you can help sort of prepare the remnant for the, the society that they will inherit. Now, my, my hope is that Christians will engage as happy warriors, not going to, to look for fights in the culture, but understand that the war is here. Um, and, and part of how we fight is to continue to believe and stand on, on God's truth um, and to love those that God has given us uh, to, to love and to care for and to raise. Um, and then from there to hopefully, you know, allow that love to to grow and to shine, and that you know, hopefully it will make a, a difference in in our communities. But I, I would say, just do not give up hope um, on on yourself, and, and more importantly, don't give up on on God's word. Don't allow um, the the downward slide of the culture to make you doubt, you know, what God has has already declared. So. That, that, that would be my, my main encouragement, right, is to, is to not give up the fight, to grow where you're planted, um, to, to love your, your spouse, to love your children, to raise them um, according to God's word. Um, and and to, to do that and prayerfully, that will continue onto the generations. What you said reminded me, maybe this is just because we're coming up on July 4th, but it reminded me of Patrick Henry's famous speech where he says, you know, gentlemen may cry, peace, peace. There is no peace. The war has actually begun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that is so true today that uh, as, as much as it may be tempting to, to try to try to shut out what's going on or mm-hmm. um, ignore it or be afraid, the war is actually here. And mm-hmm. and as an encouragement uh, to those of you who are listening, we actually are winning on a number of fronts. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's so easy to see some of the bad things that are happening and miss the areas where we're actually winning. Um, you know, over 20 states have actually passed laws that protect girls uh, for, and ensure that they have an equal access to sports, that males aren't going to take take away their spots in, in athletics. Um, there's 18 states that have passed these laws that are protecting children from transgender interventions. Mm-hmm. Um, many states uh, have, have taken steps on parental rights and on protecting uh, children in education. Uh, there's so much good happening, I would say, especially at the state level, but certainly there's, there's wonderful people fighting at the federal level as well. Um, and each time that one of you listens, raises your voice, 
um, speaks out, we actually see that making a difference. We've seen that made it make a difference. We talked about with Target. We talked about the significant pushback the Dodgers got. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Biden administration, we've actually seen so many thousands of people raising their voice against a, a Title IX rule that he raised uh, that they had to delay their response. Uh, to it so that your voice really does make a difference. Um, mm. And we are we are so encouraged when you do that. Delano, thank you so much for joining yeah. us today. We're so good to have you on. Uh, to our audience, thank you too for joining us. Um, if you want to get more engaged, if you're encouraged by what Delano shared and you want to, uh, to be more involved, be sure to sign up uh, for our email list. We'll drop the link in the, in the chat. What that'll allow you to do is we send out alerts anytime something big happens. So the next time the Biden administration releases a really bad proposal, uh, the next time there's an opportunity for some good in your state, uh, you'll get alerted uh, from us uh, to be able to take action on that, to talk to your talk to your senators or talk to your state representatives um, and and make your voice heard because it does make a difference. Uh, be sure also to get involved with your state family policy council. Uh, if you're not already, you, you hear me talk about this every time, but we have a wonderful network that we get to host of about 40 state family policy councils who are doing uh, just such important pro-family work in your state. So make sure to get involved with them. Again, the link is in the caption. And we're also going to drop in Delano's, uh, Delano's Twitter handle and uh, make sure to follow him. He's doing great work at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, we love our friends at the Heritage Foundation, so just be sure to follow him and follow the Heritage Foundation. Um, Again, if you liked what you heard, be sure to like, comment, uh, follow us, share this uh, so that we can get the message out. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Brought to you by Family Policy Alliance. Our vision is a nation where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished.